0: Not every generation embraces culture in the same way. And sometimes it's not a matter of choice. The world and the times that we live in can shape how we embrace or express our culture. Luckily for our guest today, despite politics and assimilation at the time in past generations, she has an opportunity now to reconnect to her culture. After growing up in the UK, she lived in Russia, Germany, and Italy. Then she made her way back to the UK, where she's found her perfect counterpart. Jessica Pioli is here to tell us her story of generations past and disconnection, and her story of reconnection. She'll talk about her balancing of what she thought Italian was and what she's found Italian to be, and the new balance she has with her Italian-born husband. Let's start the conversation. Welcome to Balancing Cultures. I'm Megan Kitchen. So growing up in the UK, you were British with an Italian last name. What do you know about your Italian family and what brought them over to the UK?
1: It was my, my great grandparents moved over in the very early 1900s. They were from a really small town in the mountains of Tuscany and there basically wasn't any work. And a friend of my great grandfather's was living in the Midlands in the UK and got in touch with him and said that he could find work here. So they came over. When they moved over, they had one daughter. And then when they moved over here, my granddad and his younger brother were both born in Lichfield. And so they lived with friends of my great grandparents. So there was a really small little Italy. They moved. They actually moved back to Italy during the First World War because my great grandfather's conscription papers came through. Because neither of um, my great grandparents ever naturalized to being British citizens. They remained Italian citizens. So they went back and then they finally moved over in 1918 and settled in a town called Dudley. And they started an ice cream business that grew into them having like a little confectionery store, a corner shop. And yeah, they lived there for the rest of their days. You
0: know, my favorite part of that (laughs) was as an American listening to the city names, the British (laughs) city names, it just sounds like it's out of a TV drama. (laughs) Litchfield and
1: Dudley. Yeah, Litchfield. They're both suburbs of Birmingham. So the accent in Birmingham and around Birmingham is very, very uh, unique shall we say. So all my my dad's side of the family all grew up, all speak with a, a, we call it a Brummie accent, Birmingham accent. So Dudley, for example, is pronounced Dudloy.
0: So then as they settle and they have kids who are born in the UK and acclimating to that and assimilating mm. probably to the British culture because they're born there and they're completely surrounded by British, how did your family, so we're, we'll talk about the extended family, yeah. so the generation before you, how did they embrace aspects of Italian culture or keep those things alive as immigrants and then the first generation British?
1: So it's actually a subject that makes me quite I don't know, mad or sad. I'm not sure, but because uh, it was basically the Italian culture was pretty much forced out of my family within a generation purely because of the way the world was at the time. So they came and they settled after the First World War. And my great-grandparents, as I said, they never naturalized. They remained Italian citizens for their whole lives. And they only spoke Italian. And as far as I'm aware, they ran a pretty Italian household in terms of language and food and culture and religion and everything. Um, But their children, so my grandparents, my granddad and his brother and sister, had to assimilate quite quickly. There's a story that, well, it's it's kind of funny, but in a way also a bit sad. So my, my great aunt, so my granddad's sister, and she got to school in in Dudley, went to Catholic school. And they said to her, what's your name? And she said, "Ricardina Maria. And apparently one of them just went, oh, that's ridiculous. I can't say that. I'm going to call you Gladys. And that was it. She was Gladys for the rest of her life. She just totally adopted the name. And uh, even though her birth certificate and, I don't know, driver's license and everything said Ricardina Maria, everybody called her Gladys and she was anti-Gladys forever. And then as the politics in Italy changed and things in the 1930s and 40s, there was a a real anti-Italian sentiment in the UK.
0: During the lead up to World War II.
1: Yeah, and during World War II as well. Um, And my great-grandfather and his friends, and actually they all were arrested as part of this anti-Italian campaign. They were all arrested and basically they all had to have their backgrounds checked and this and that. So there was just serious anti-italian sentiment so my granddad and his brother and sister made a conscious decision they were like right we're going to learn to speak perfect english we're just going to keep our heads down and conform to the english way of life and get on with it because that was the the easier thing to do Hmm. my dad remembers seeing his dad speaking italian with his family and with his friends but he never spoke it to my dad or his brother so they didn't teach them any italian and my Grandfather married my grandmother, who was English, so she obviously took over the running of the household. So she cooked English food, and they spoke English at home, and had a very traditional English lifestyle. And that was it. It sort of within a generation was kind of wiped out. <laughs> the The Italian culture was a bit removed. Which, uh, yeah, as I say, it makes me quite sad. Really, that I don't know. Had they been of a different time or a different era, they might have been able to hold on to it a bit better, but.
0: This is something that came up when I spoke to Mitch mm. about his grandparents when they moved from Germany to Australia. And of course, our episode as we're talking, a lot of it's speculation, because we didn't get to talk to these people. Yeah, And I asked, did they make English the family language because they wanted to assimilate? And he said, part of it probably was to fit in. Uh-huh. You know, there weren't Germans down the street and they didn't want to stand out. And yep. he wonders now, how much of it was a choice mm. to leave some culture behind or to assimilate to a certain level or to balance to such an extreme degree? Mm. Do you feel that way about your extended family and the Italian culture?
1: I think so. I mean, I've also heard anecdotally that they also loved the English way of life. Like, apparently, Auntie Gladys thought Gladys was the most beautiful name she'd ever heard in her life. And <laughs> fully, you know, she was, she was like, oh, okay, I'll be Gladys, that's great. But I also think had she not been told, I'm going to call you Gladys, would she ever have decided herself to adopt that name? And mm. equally, I, I think I think if it went for the external influences forcing them to assimilate quite so much, I, I wonder maybe if they would have held on to at least the language, maybe, you know, because my great grandparents obviously didn't speak any English, but they had English grandchildren who... You know, would they have been able to teach their grandchildren Italian? And I'm not sure, but...
0: Were there other cultural elements? So they gave up the language in mm. a way, especially by your dad's generation, the language was gone. Mm. But were there other cultural elements that trickled down? Traditions,
1: values, food? <laughs> uh, definitely religion. My dad and his brother were raised Roman Catholic. So that was passed down. Um uh, but that's partly because my English grandmother was also Catholic, so she was quite happy to, to continue that. But having said that, I do I think that church, you know, when I was growing up, we always went to church and were involved in church beyond. You know, we didn't just go for the token Christmas and Easter visits. We would go every week and my dad played in the, the church band and things like that. So I feel like they passed down that side of things. But But then again... it's it's a really, it's a hard question to answer because was that being passed down from the Italian side of my family or was that just something my dad would have done anyway? I'm not really sure. Mm. And then in terms of food, as I said, my dad's mum, my grandmother on my dad's side, she was English. So when he was growing up, the food was very English. She made a mean roast chicken dinner. She made really, (laughs) really good roast dinner. It wasn't passed down in that sense, but for, for me and my sisters it was actually my mum that decided that food she was going to learn to cook proper Italian food so when she married my dad she was like I can't have this Italian surname and not be able to make proper bolognese or proper uh, risotto I've got to learn because my mum and her family are their English way back you know she's done her her family tree and I think the most exotic thing in there is some Cornish people at some point but she's tropical. Yeah, very very interesting. <laughs> so um it kind of the food I think kind of skipped a generation because <laughs> the italian was passed down in the the men in my family. I got the surname, but we didn't inherit the sort of household ways of doing things that maybe would have been passed, you know, if my, my great grandmother had passed down to her daughter and and so on, so.
0: That's an interesting comment that especially in past generations the culture is passed down more through the mother. Yeah, They're the ones at home preparing the food, primarily with the children, instilling values and beliefs and rituals with the children. And so the men carry the name. So yeah. you got the Italian name, yeah. but the men don't necessarily carry all the other stuff. They don't enforce it yeah. the way the mother or the person who's home traditionally in the past generations, the Mm, mom, mm. would hold that so steady in the household. So now your mom has married your dad. She's gotten this Italian last name. And with that, kind of an Italian conviction. And she she goes, I'm going to embrace this. And your dad's like, embrace what? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. My dad's the first one to admit. He's like, I'm, he he says like, I'm half Italian, but you wouldn't know it to look at me or talk to me because we never inherited any of you know, consciously inherited any of the Italian ways of being from his, from his dad. So yeah, it was my mom.
0: <laughs> so then in your immediate family, so this is mom, dad, and then it's you and two sisters. Uh-huh. To what degree did your parents embrace Italian?
1: It's one of those difficult questions to, to answer because I only know my family's culture and values. So I don't, I don't know what other people's family, you know, I don't know if it's just my family's way of doing things or if it's everybody's family's way of doing things. But
0: as I've interviewed people, this seems to be a common theme of, (laughs) I don't know if this is my family thing or if this is a such and such culture thing. Yeah. But there are things, if you maybe compare yourself to the family down the road, it was in your eyes, British, 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 Mm -hmm. or English, English, English. What was different about your family that leaned more towards Italian?
1: I would, I think, again, I don't want to talk about food, but I do want to talk about food all the time. We can I love talk,
0: it. But, you know, let's make a thirty-minute episode
1: about food. <laughs> yes, <Excellent>. yes. <laughs> but again, I think it's um, well, food, food and family. There was always like my mum. Every Sunday, it was big family dinner all together. You know, she didn't care where we were, who we were with. At a certain time on a Sunday, we all got back and we all sat down together and had a big meal. And it would, you know, we'd often sit down at three in the afternoon because British Sunday lunch is normally served in between lunchtime and tea time. Um, So we'd sit down like three in the afternoon and we might be there till nine o'clock at night all just sitting around talking with each other, which my friends didn't always do or my friend, they might do it occasionally, but for us it was a weekly thing. And I, I do feel like that sort of family dinner, chatting and all that that seems like quite an italian thing to do and my dad loves to do he, he does call it his papa pioli he loves to be the one stood at the top of the table serving the food nobody gets to choose what they have he just goes around and gives everybody whatever there is and how much you want doesn't matter it goes on the plate and you eat it yeah and also i think the the things my sisters and i grew up eating again they seemed perfectly normal to me until i spoke to friends about it like Friday was always tuna spaghetti, but it was just a really simple pasta, tomatoes and tuna dish that we had every Friday, which thinking about it is kind of the Catholic fish on a Friday thing coupled with simple dish of pasta and things. And my friends would come around and and they'd be like, wow, what's this? And risotto. I always found it really funny that people find risotto so difficult to cook and exciting because it was sort of a Wednesday night. Mum can't be bothered cooking she'll make a risotto because it's just whatever's in the fridge stick in a pan with some rice it'll be fine
0: and I have to bring this up because you've mentioned it to me before Mm. when your mom was trying to integrate Italian food into (laughs) your family diet Mm. it wasn't necessarily easy was it
1: no so she and my dad got married in 1970 actually it's their 50th wedding anniversary this year and at the time foreign foods weren't readily available in the uk um it was very homogenized english food british food available in supermarkets so my mum she she still has them actually so these recipe books of basic italian recipes and basic italian cooking and in the back there's an index of the shops where you can buy basil and you can buy uh pureed tomatoes and oregano and stuff and it's literally like basil is in this shop in london and oregano is in this other shop in London, and then if you go up to Edinburgh, you can go to this shop and buy balsamic vinegar. And so she she had to really hunt down the ingredients and to to be able to make these things.
0: Your mom, it sounds like, took the time to try and embrace this Italianness, even if just through food, because then it sparks something in you as the great grandchild mm. to then reconnect to the culture, not just through food.
1: Yeah, and I, I think she was also keen to do that because as a family, we actually had quite a strong German influence and American influence because my dad worked in both those places for the majority of my life. And my mum had lived in Germany and studied in Germany. And, you know, we studied German at school and, and spent a lot of time there as a family. So I think because we had these massive influences of these places that weren't part of our heritage, I think she really wanted to make a conscious effort to have something in our upbringing that reminded us of our our heritage. And even even though there wasn't a lot of Italian influence on our upbringing, my dad always did make sure that my sisters and I understood that he was half Italian, we were quarter Italian, any children we would one day have would also have Italian blood in them. They both wanted to make sure we were aware of it, even though it wasn't a massive influence on the family day-to-day
0: At one point, you lived in Russia, and you learned Russian. Then you lived in Germany, and you learned German. And then you finally made your way down to Italy, and you learned Italian.
1: Yeah, German and Russian, I was doing those both at university. So I had to go and spend a semester in each country. And then after I graduated, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I found this tour guide company in Germany and was like, how about Munich? But then for Italian... It was actually when I was, the, the the morning that I was moving to Russia, I remember I was completely freaking out and I was in my kitchen. I was talking to my dad and I was like, why didn't I do Italian at university? I could be on my way to Italy right now, but instead I'm not. I'm on my way to St. Petersburg. That's terrifying, having this big meltdown. And so a few years later, I kind of remembered that moment and was like, why haven't I learned Italian? Why don't I go to Italy? Because I was working in a job I didn't really like and I hadn't really found my my corner of life yet in the UK. So I was like, I'll go to Italy. I'll learn Italian. Why not? And like you say, I get to experience the culture and eat the food. And I found a company with a school in Lucca, which is the, the, the nearest town to the village my family was from. So I was like, I can go over there and learn this language and, you know, try and get a bit more in touch with my roots and my heritage. And yeah, why not?
0: So was there anything eye-opening about the Italian culture in person compared to the values or traditions that your family had in the UK?
1: This is another one that's it's hard to answer cuz again is it my family or is it all British people I don't know. And also the the family that I lived with when I moved to Luca, their mum was actually Brazilian, so she had a whole other culture that she brought to the household as well but I I do think sort of the importance and the closeness of family was something I definitely recognized that this family that I lived with so I lived with the the grandmother and she had multiple children and a few couple of them had multiple children and you know they would get together at least once a week the whole family all together and just spend a whole afternoon or day or mealtime or whatever just talking all together all the three generations and that was something that I definitely recognized from my family's way of doing things. But equally, it was one of those moments where I'd always considered my family and always been told by people in the UK that my family were very loud when we go out for dinner. You know, wherever we are, we're quite often the people being shushed. But you're you're a rambunctious group yes, of people. Rambunctious group. Yeah. But I had no idea how quiet we actually are compared to when a proper Italian family get together. The volume is just, astronomical and uh, at least in our family we're rambunctious as you say and we're loud but we do take it in turns to talk as much as possible whereas Italians do not (laughs) they talk over and it's perfectly polite to talk over somebody or interrupt somebody and that was one thing that I'm still getting used to having come to Italian culture a bit later in life is being interrupted and it being okay and uh, somebody talking over me or you know it's it's very different to how Brits speak with each other uh, so it kind of made me realize that as open and and loud and outgoing as my family may seem from a British perspective from an Italian perspective we're still very reserved. And
0: It's funny how you just described the Italian way of conversing we'll say mm-hmm. it sounds very American to me mm. actually. As I talked to, to Mira in episode one about her being a German living in New York and going and socializing with Americans, mm. how hard it is to jump into a conversation. Yeah, Because that's exactly, we interrupt each other, we're overlapping, we jump in and change the subject, but that's considered engaging.
1: Yeah, mm.
0: That's having a conversation. And I struggle with that here with my husband sometimes where mm. I go, can you grunt or something? How do I know you're listening? <laughs> yeah. Can you make some type of noise? He's like, I'm listening, I'm processing. And I'm like
1: uh, I, <sighs> Yeah, and I, I do think my dad is much more likely to interrupt you or talk over you. And I don't but I don't know if that's an Italian thing or because he spent so much time working in the States, I don't know if it where that's come from, but he's much more engaged in conversation in that way.
0: Is he also the youngest child?
1: He's also the youngest child, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had to make space for
1: himself. Yeah, exactly. He had no child. Well, I'm the youngest child and you are as well, aren't you? So yeah, we all know, we know how it is. You've got to, you got to talk. Otherwise mm. nobody will ever listen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, let's get back to that experience you had in Lucca. And then you also ended up in Florence. Yeah. So you got more than one Italian experience, kind of a mm. smaller town and then a bigger city. Mm. Did these experiences make you feel more or less Italian? Or somewhere in between,
1: definitely somewhere in between. Like I say, I you know I'd lived in Germany. I spent a lot of time in Germany, and I lived in Russia. And for some reason, when I got to Italy, I just felt so much more at home really quickly. Mm. I don't know. That might have just been because I was older and I was more able to make it my home, more independent. But I don't know. It just felt much more my kind of speed, or the people. I don't know. I felt more of a connection to it. And it was the first time as well in my life that when I spoke to my teachers, and obviously they were like. Where's the surname come from? And I would explain that, you know, my great grandparents moved over, my granddad was Italian. It was the first time in my life that people responded to that story by saying, ah, oh, so you're Italian then? Because as far as Italians are concerned, if you have an Italian relative in your bloodline, you're Italian. When I was living in Lucca, I met up with, I think she's something like my third cousin, once removed, that still lives in. So, my family came from a, a village called Valbona, which is in the the hills, the mountains of Tuscany. And there's a town near there called Pieve Fosciana, which is, you know, the village they're from is literally like three houses and a church. And then Pieve Fosciana is a bit bigger, has a cafe, that sort of thing. And then Lucca is kind of the nearest city to those. So, my this lady, she lives in Pieve Fosciana. And it was really funny to meet her because she spoke Italian, like an Italian perfect, fluent, flawless accent. And then when she spoke English, she had a really strong Birmingham accent, <laughs> this really thick brummy accent, which I just thought was, it was just like, ah, okay, yeah, you're a Pioli, I see it now. So yeah, and I went with my parents to Valbona, to this village. And it was the first time that I saw the Pioli surname on signs and on buildings. Because basically, it used to be called Piola because the Pioli family built it, essentially, there's a there's a plaque in there that says, this is our village. And in the UK, there's no Piolis on war memorials or buildings or anywhere. So it was the first time seeing that. And it was just that really made me feel very connected because it was like, oh, yeah, there's generations of us that have been here and built stuff and done stuff, which we don't really have in the UK. My great grandfather had his shop and it was Pioli's newsagents or something, but it's not there anymore. So that probably would have been the only building with our name on it in the UK, but it's gone. So yeah, so that really helped me feel very connected. But then at the same time, as I was saying, just the way Italians talk to each other and the way they approach things just made me realise quite how British I am and how British my upbringing was and And even growing up in the north of England, where people are friendly, you know, you'll sit on the bus and the person next to you will just start talking to you or you'll be in a shop and just make conversation with whoever's there. But in Italy, it literally like you can go and buy a little espresso. And well, I went and bought an espresso and the lady that served it to me saw that I'd bought an aubergine. And suddenly it was 45 minutes later and she was still explaining the recipe, her grandmother's recipe of making aubergines to me. And I was like...
0: (laughs) This is one. This is
1: it's. It's wonderful, but it's just suddenly like, okay, they're as friendly as Northern Brits can be. We're still very conservative compared to the Italians. So it kind of made me hyper aware of my Englishness at the same time.
0: Well, did it make you want to embrace the culture more, or in different ways?
1: yeah definitely, especially because I was suddenly aware of how much of my understanding of Italian culture growing up was very stereotypical ideas of Italian life. This idea that Italians live in villas surrounded by vineyards and have donkeys <laughs> and i don't know ride bikes through fields of lavender on in this and that, and it was you know seeing normal Italian whoa. Pause,
0: pause. Sorry. (laughs) I have a lot of international listeners and you're about to ruin their perspective. Listeners, I don't want to ruin this for you. Everything is beautiful in Italy. Everything's just like under the Tuscan sun. Yeah, villas and donkeys. So if you want to ignore Jess for the next few minutes, it's okay. (laughs) I
1: don't mean to spoil anybody's dreams.
0: Everyone lives on a vineyard. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Ruin the dream for us. What's real life Italian like?
1: Well, it's just normal. They go to the supermarket or they have to get the train to the nine till five or they're stuck in a traffic jam trying to get to the nine till five. And so I kind of wanted to get to know the, the real Italy, the normal people Italy. But having said that, it is also a wonderful place where people will take two hours for lunch and have a bottle of wine between a friend over lunchtime and it's all wonderful and beautiful and the waiters are all tall, dark and handsome. and So the wonderful mix of the stereotypical vision people have and real life. But no, it definitely made me want to get to know the real Italy.
0: Are you happy that you went and lived in Italy? Can you imagine a life where you hadn't done that?
1: I can, but I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I loved it. I'm really happy. And I'm I'm really glad that I went there kind of as a completely blank slate Italian wise and just wanted to absorb it all and learn as much about it as I could. So You had
0: lots and lots of fun Mm. and you learned a lot in Italy, but it wasn't a permanent move. No. So eventually you go back to the UK. Your Italian journey in Italy was over, but your Italian journey, see where I'm going with this, yeah. <laughs> was not done. Would you like to tell us?
1: So yes, yeah, the, the ultimate irony after spending a year living in Italy and not really meeting anybody worth uh, writing home about, I moved home and got a job in a village 20 minutes away from the house I grew up in. And in the office was a tall, dark, handsome man. He moved over to... Im- I say he improved his English, but he moved over to learning. He literally could not speak any English when he arrived. And he moved to Liverpool, of all places, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Liverpudlian accent, but even I can't understand. When it's really thick and really strong, I find it hard to understand that accent. So he moved to Liverpool because he had friends there. But he says he remembers he got out of the airport, into a taxi, showed the, the driver the address he wanted to go to, and the driver just went, Ta mate! And Andrea went, oh, God, I can't speak English. His friends eventually helped him find a job. And yeah, we met in this office. And I tricked him into spending time with me by pretending that I needed to improve my Italian. You know, so you need Mm -hmm. to improve your English. I need to improve my Italian. Not telling him that I had just recently achieved my degree in Italian. So I pretended I needed to improve my Italian. And yeah.
0: So he's Italian Italian.
1: Mm
0: but. Just like in the US or in the UK, there's different regions and areas that have very different cultures, accents, even dialects. And So is your now husband, spoiler alert, they got married, Mm -hmm. is your now husband from the same area that your extended family comes from or the area that you got to study in?
1: No, he's, uh, he's from Turin, which is in the far north. And extra plot twist is that his extended family are not from the area that he is from. He was born and raised in Turin, or his dad did grow up in Turin, but his family is actually from Naples originally. And then his mum is actually from Basilicata. So his family is is southern, southern Italian, but grew up in in Turin in the north, which doesn't sound like a big deal to maybe people that aren't familiar with Italian regional conflicts, but it's a massive difference. I remember when I was studying in Lucca and Florence people would say to me like oh don't go to the south of Italy they don't have roads oh don't go to the south of Italy you'll never come back and you know there's this real stereotypical derogatory vision of the south of Italy for some people so yeah and grew up in a neighborhood that was a lot of southern Italians so he grew up with different food and different dialects and things to he basically sort of had to speak a different Italian at home that he then spoke at school and And
0: then both of those, his two Italian experiences, are then still different from your Italian experience.
1: And also very, I mean, my my Italian experience was very studenty. And my friends, when we lived there, we basically were like socialites. We just sort of spend our time eating and drinking and being fabulous. We don't have to pay our taxes or go to work and all this stuff. So he's obviously had the real Italian experience of having to do the boring bits and not just drink cocktails and it's all very different experiences of of Italy yeah
0: now that you're in this relationship with your italian background then your personal italian experience but then you're in a household now with an italian italian <laughs> who grew up there and had a very different experience not mm-hmm. only because like you just said you had kind of the student experience and he had the lifetime yeah but also they're just different types of italian has that opened your eyes up to what you thought it meant to be, quote-unquote, Italian?
1: Yeah, definitely. And
0: sub-question what you think, what cultural points do you think were reinforced or challenged as you are now living with a different type of Italian from your experience?
1: Mm. It's, well, there there are some really nice things that have been reinforced so the nice stereotypes that have been reinforced for me and then kind of some not so nice revelations about the real Italy so living with my husband and speaking to him about his experiences and his life and everything kind of opened my eyes to a lot of cynicism and a lot of mistrust in the government and institutions and things yeah they're a lot more cynical than I think people, uh, certainly than I ever realized. And I think, again, with this idea of it being all wonderful and romantic and beautiful and tall dark handsome and strangers, there's, there's a lot more.
0: So when I think of Italy, I have the under the Tuscan sun perspective, right? Yeah. Like you said, there's a villa, there's a vineyard. I've also been to cities. I've been to Florence, Venice, Rome, and experienced the city side of things. But I think still, regardless of it, country or city or sitting in the cafe, there is this stereotype, maybe is what Mm. I could call it, that Italians are carefree. Yeah. That's it. They are relaxed. They're easy breezy. Even if there's a bit of a drama and they raise their hands up and argue about something, everything ends in love. Yeah. But that that's not necessarily true. They have internal conflicts and dilemmas and confrontations and everything that we have in yeah. other cultures.
1: And I do find there's more kind of worry about the future and things than there is certainly in British culture. Like I, I remember once when we went back to Italy and stayed with his family and we we're walking around the neighborhood going to the shop or something and we bumped into, my husband knew him because this is one of the stereotypes that was reinforced is that everybody knows everybody else in the neighborhood and by name and you know what they're doing and all this. Mm-hmm. Basically, the the guy asked him like, oh, so do you have a permanent contract at your job? And that was considered to be like the coolest thing to have was a permanent contract because it's secure. It's secure. Yeah. I, I know where my next paycheck is coming from. And fortunately in Italy at the moment, there is a real problem with zero hour contracts and people being taken advantage of. And I just found that really interesting that kind of the the young hip cool kid in the neighbourhood was asking about somebody's employment security, which isn't wouldn't be what somebody like that might be concerned about in the UK. And but then the nice side of things that's been supported again, knowing everyone in the neighbourhood. When my husband and I walk round, even though he might not have been there for a couple of years, he'll still bump into people. And well, he's a twin, so they might mistake him for his twin. <laughs> but if not, they know who he is, and then because they know who he is, they know who I am, and they get all excited. And it's one of those nice stereotypes. And you know, you see the the grannies sitting on their balconies watching what's going on, and if they see something they don't approve of, they will shout and be like, "You don't belong here. You need to leave." Or "What are you doing? Don't do that." Or you know, the old men will all be gathered on the corner having a chat, and cause that's what they do. Which is, I just think that's really the nice side of thing. The really sociable side of Italy is was definitely confirmed.
0: Would you say that, in terms of the cultural points that were either reinforced or challenged, that you've had more positive revelations about Italian culture than negative?
1: Yeah, I think so. One of the ones that I really like is um, the idea—you know—the the idea of the Italian mother being really involved in her children's lives and and all this. I like, I'm really lucky that uh, my husband's mum she has all of those traits but just the good ones you know she's not one of these people that's like you're taking my son away from me and all that type of stereotype. she's just because she has two sons and a husband and I think she just loves having a girl in the house that she can tell all of you know this is how I do this with that and this is how you do this and you know she's trying to pass on all of her womanly wisdom to me which is is really nice and When she comes to visit, I try and get I try really, really, really hard to get her to go out and do stuff. But all she wants to do is stay at home and cook and clean, which is is a colossal stereotype of an Italian mother.
0: But I know from conversations we've had that she was also a working mom. Yeah. So she doesn't 100 percent fulfill the stereotype.
1: They're not fixed on this, the the gender stereotypes. They're much more sort of everybody needs to chip in and, and do their bit, which I'm quite I'm quite pleased about because I have seen interactions with other people when I was studying in Italy there is still quite a strong gender role
0: reinforcement of
1: yeah 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 very much yeah it's been it's a a good mix but definitely the more I've got to know about the real Italy and actual proper Italian culture the more I want to know and the more the more I like it I like knowing better about what what a, a country and a people and a culture is actually like as opposed to the stereotypes and the the romantic ideals. It's a good kind of eye opening.
0: So, are you happy that you put in that extra effort and took on more things to balance with your reconnection to Italian culture?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm as I say, I'm happy that I've got to know real Italian culture. I haven't just sat back and embraced the stereotypes. I'm really happy that I've I've gone, and lived there and, and got to know Italians and lived with an Italian family. And now I have my own Italian extended family. And yeah, it's definitely an experience that I'm really glad I, I undertook. I really like the idea that I'm reclaiming this heritage that was kind of forced out of my family. And uh, I really i am glad that I've, I've made the effort. <laughs> And I really hope that it's something that I can pass on to to my own children as well, even if I hadn't married a an Italian, I definitely would want to pass on the like like of, of all the languages I speak. it would be Italian that I would pass on to my children.
0: I really appreciate your story and this reconnection that you have because as an international parent, there is this pressure that if I want my kids to have our culture despite us not living in that culture, so Mm -hmm. American and Finnish, we live in Germany, so they don't have, they're not surrounded by our cultures, Mm. that there's still a chance they will connect to those cultures. And even if maybe they don't connect so much, that their kids could still connect. Mm. It's not that if my kids don't connect to the culture, that's the end of the line, that there's always this opportunity for generation after generation to say, I'm half Italian, quarter Italian, even an eighth Italian, and I want to reconnect to that and rediscover what that means to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I do think the world today is, certainly the UK is, it used to be very much kind of assimilation, not acclimation, so people... Come here. You have to speak English and do English things. And but I feel like the world is much more open to the idea of people that speak one language at home and another language at school, or mm-hmm. just have a different way of of living that's other than the quote unquote standard for a certain country or region or whatever. And I think that's a really good thing because I don't know, having a heritage that's more than one place or more than one language, more than one culture, or whatever, is just so much more interesting. <laughs>
0: And it gives you options. I was talking to someone about the good part of having more than one culture is that you can choose. I like this value or this mm-hmm. tradition from this one. Yeah, I like this value and tradition from this one. Yep. And you get to have a little bit of everything.
1: Definitely. Yeah. I feel really lucky that I kind of have the excuse of my surname and of my heritage to be able to do that. So it's quite a lucky position to be in, I think, to have the excuse of a different heritage to be able to do that and uh it's more fun that way because you know there are some things that other cultures do like I love in Germany I can't remember what date it is but before Christmas you put a shoe outside your bedroom and it gets filled with sweets overnight like, oh yeah Nikolaus yeah I love that <laughs> of course Nikolaus do yeah. yeah why don't we do that I want sweets give me them so you know just being <laughs> a, being aware of things like that and being like you know what that's actually kind of cool I'm gonna have that one Yeah, just appreciating other cultures and celebrating them as opposed to seeing them as something that is other, I think is just a great way to live.
0: Well, I think this feeds perfectly into our closing question, which is what is your favorite part of the balancing? And for you, there's a few different things going on here. So we've got the balance between British life and Italian roots, Mm. then you've got the balance between the different Italians. Mm-hmm. and the balance between what you thought Italian was and now what you see Italian to be.
1: With the Italian roots, I, I like having a reason to be different and do things differently and and having an extra source of ways of doing things. You know, it's not ju- I don't just have to do things exactly the same way as my parents did it or my grandparents did it. I can look at all the different ways, different sides of my family have done things. And I, I like having like we said, you know, I could pick and choose bits of the, the culture and the, the traditions and, and adopt them and that side of things. And then in terms of the amalgamation of my Italian experience and, and my husband's Italian experience, and also with his, his British experience and my British experience, I really like that we're able to get each other to see the nicer side of one another's cultures. I help him to see past the cynicism and past the mistrust and the worries and things and just look at how beautiful Italy is and let's have an espresso on this wonderful historical piazza and watch the river go by and it helps him stop and smell the roses with Italian culture and he does the same thing with me in the UK his fresh eyes on how the Brits do things has made me notice things that otherwise I might not have like he always says in the UK, if it's warm and sunny, everybody inside in the park. They're having a barbecue. They're making the most of it because they know that tomorrow it's probably going to rain. Whereas in Italy, they're not that fussed about you know it's going to be sunny all summer, whatever. I and mean, I'd never noticed that before. It never occurred to me that that was something different. So I like that we help each other notice the uh, the more romantic side of our cultures. Hmm. Yeah, it's just having different perspectives and different ways of seeing the the world and. I like that differentiation between ways of being.
0: A big thank you to Jess for sharing her story. Have you, one, two, or more generations later, reconnected with your culture? Have you learned more about yourself by looking into your heritage? It's encouraging to hear from Jess's story that reconnection is possible seeing that we all have a chance to learn about our past and then have access to more options for the values we want to embrace and the ways we want to live. Jess added to her balancing. Will you? Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen.